So I'm sitting on the front row praying while the choir is singing. Oh God, may everyone within hearing of the choir's voice today be there on that morning when the stars, one last time, the stars will fall and Jesus will come. I feel like we ought to go to an altar call right now. You do want to be there on that morning, don't you? Huh? If you want to be there on that morning, no kidding, seriously. If you want to be there on that morning, would you indicate that desire by standing to your feet? And by that standing, you're saying, hey, Jesus, this is all I am. There's no fanfare, no pretense. I am what I am. But by your grace, I want to be there on that morning. Amen. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we just need to respond. The choir sings. And everything within us says, oh yes, please. Let us be there on that morning. Not one man standing now. Not one woman standing now. Missing on that morning. No matter what transpires between now and then, no matter, we want to be there. My Lord, what a morning that will be. And by Your grace, we are certain. By Your grace, Holy Father, we shall be there. Through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Spirit who is in our midst, let all the people say, Amen. Be seated, please. Thank you. Well, we need to set this sermon up. We need to have that right there. Because when you read the story that we are going to relive this morning, you live with all these preconceptions and notions and just, just get it out of your mind. Let's put a real live 12-year-old right here on this seat in front of us. And I have the joy of introducing to you, in case you haven't had the honor of meeting him yet, my young friend, Danny Widener. He's my main man for children's stories every first service. I've known Danny for years and he has been so solicitous. He is, he is just the right, the right young man in our parish today to be the 12-year-old Jesus. Because, Danny, you're in your 12th year. Isn't that something? Where do you go to school, Danny? Ruth Murdoch Elementary. I've heard of that. What grade are you in? Six. Sixth grade? Whoa, sixth grade, 12 years old. Wow. You have family here too? Yes. You have a mother? Yep. And a father? Yes. Wow. You got, an, you got an older sister named Katie? She's now Katie Shaw. Works in the university, right? Yeah. You got another sister named uh, Becky? She's out at uh, another college that won't, we won't yeah. mention. All right. <laughs> you, have a little, you have another sister named Kayleen who's an eighth grader at... Uh, Ruth Murdoch? And then there's you? Yeah. All those girls and you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Danny, thank you for helping me today. I've been praying for you. I pray for you. I pray for you before 
you're helping me. Because you know what? I look into your face and I say, Jesus has a very special dream for your life. I'm so proud of you. You just, you reflect, you're the, you, you just reflect what Jesus is all about. So Danny, please have a seat here. It will be there that you sit. Now, we need to uh, set this story up a little bit more, Danny. And so thank you for bringing the new, that's the new living translation. Good. Danny, get us into the story. Would you please read for us all? And we'll read it. We'll put it on the screen. Those of you watching on television, you can follow along on the screen. Let's read Daniel, please. Verse 41 and then verse 42. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Very nice. Thank you, Danny. Because you see, there were three festivals. In the very beginning, people were required to go to three. Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. But once the diaspora, the the dispersion came, you know, the Jews went to the whole Mediterranean basin. It's impossible. You can't go to all three and still maintain a life somewhere else. And so they tended to pick just one. And hands down, the number one favorite was Passover because it's Liberation Day. The day our fathers and mothers came out of Exodus. Thank you, God. So, oh, and by the way, only the males were required to attend. So the fact that Joseph and Mary are going together indicates they are a very devout couple. And they're going with their 12-year-old son, Jesus. All right. In fact, let's make this come alive, alive a little more. Danny, would it be all right if we have uh, mom and dad come up here and join you? Daniel and Charles, come on up. Daniel Sr., Widener, Charles. Charles, you are a businesswoman in the community. Daniel, you work with computers here on this campus. Just stand by your boy because he's the age of Jesus in this story. Now, Danny, I want you to read the next, uh, uh, read three verses this time. 43, 44, and 45, please. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first. Because they assumed he was with his friends among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their friends and relatives. They couldn't find, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Thank you, Danny. Because you see, uh, oftentimes entire villages would move in a caravan. So the whole, uh, all the town uh, residents that go to this particular feast, they would hang together. They would move in one caravan. And uh, Charles, the, the mother and the younger children, the youngest children would be up in the front of the caravan. And Papa, Daniel... The dads with the young men would be in the back. Now, Jesus is just near, because he's 12, he's just near his bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah means son of the law. He's going to become a full-fledged member of of this religious community. We're not sure. We cannot be sure whether he has already gone through the bar mitzvah or he's going to the temple in order to go into the bar mitzvah. So we don't know. It could be that because Jesus is only 12... He's up front. In fact, Joseph thinks he's up front because he's, he's, he's at this in-between age. He's up front with mom. Mama knows that because he's now of bar mitzvah age, he's probably in the back with dad. So they're both assuming that he's with the other. And nighttime comes. You can understand, Danny. 
if you didn't come home from Ruth Murdoch one night. There would be absolute panic. Wouldn't there be panic if your 12-year-old boy doesn't come home? They can't find him anywhere. And of course, child, they remember. Mary particularly remembers that old king. He's now dead, but his son. That old king tried to kill my baby in the beginning. So it's like this ice in your vein. But you've been a whole day now, one whole day out away from Jerusalem. You can't go back to Jerusalem now. It's too dark and dangerous. You've got to wait till sunrise. And then it's one whole day back. And according to what Danny has just read, three days. Now, now hold on. Let's, let's, uh, let's read verses 45 and 46, Daddy, before we, we do our next uh, uh, stage of this story. Verses 45 and verse 46. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him. He was in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, discussing deep questions with them. Very good. Now listen, before we take another step, we've got we, we've to enlarge this scene. Now some of you don't know this is coming, but I'm going to need you right now. We need a room full. We, this could be a portico. It could be a chamber at the te- uh, beside the temple. But we need a whole room full of professors. What better congregation to turn to for props? We need professor props. If you are a professor here, be proud of the fact that you are. And would you, you are not going to have to say a single word up here, I promise you. Would you please come up? We need some rabbis, we need professors, we need, we need, I know you by name, so I'll just start calling you if you don't come up right now. I, I need you to, I need you to just come up. Please, let's do this. We had a great, we had a great group of professors in first service. So come on, second service professors. And we can have some women professors, absolutely. They didn't know that women could be professors back then, but now we know. And so, yeah, come on up. Come on up. Be proud to be a professor at Andrews University. we got a rabbi. Come on. Come on up. Jack, 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 you come up. You can't sit there. He's a real live rabbi, so we need him. In fact, Jack, we're going to put you right, right here beside the young boy Jesus, if you don't mind. Jack Ducan. All right. All right. Now, folks, just crowd in, crowd, crowd right in, because we want to get it. We want to get a sense. This is totally unrehearsed, as you can see, but we want to get a we want to get a sense of what it's like for the boy Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, how old is Jesus? He is 12. How old are these professors? Don't say, but you can tell. We want to get a sense of what it was like for the boy Jesus We're not talking one day. We're not talking two days. We're talking three days. Now, when I went to the seminary here a few years ago, I took many classes from our professors at the seminary. And I want to tell you something. A lot of the seminaries back then, the seminary professors rather, back then were from the old school. Which means if you you have a dumb question or an uninformed question, just keep your mouth shut in class. And so most of us seminarians were really, we, we, we just, it was quite a, with, with a bit of trepidation that we would speak up in class. And of course, that was back when students were really respectful in classes. And so times have changed, I know. So you, you can imagine it. I mean, I'm 22 when I go to graduate school here. And these professors are there. Subtract 10 from 22 and try to get the feel of the intimidation factor. With these, this is Jerusalem's intelligentsia. And they're all surrounding. They're all surrounding the boy Jesus. Now, Daniel, 
Uh, would you read, please, uh, verse 46 and then verse 47? Three days later, they finally discovered him. He was in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, discussing deep questions with them. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. What is, what, what is the boy Jesus doing, ladies and gentlemen, according to verse 46? What is he doing? He is asking. He's actually asking questions. This 12-year-old, imagine him turned around now and looking up at you and, and directing the conversation through asking questions. Amazing. I found a book this summer. Some of you are New Testament scholars. I found a book this summer written by Conrad Gimpf. He teaches over at London Bible College. He's an American professor there. Title of the book, Jesus Asked. Listen to this. I was amazed to learn. You take the shortest gospel, okay? You take the gospel of St. Mark. There are, there are 67 episodes where Jesus carries on any sort of conversation at all. Red letters appear 67 times. In those 67 episodes, 50 of those times, Jesus is asking questions. Amazing. Old book devoted to the questions. Now listen to this. In fact, we'll put it up on the screen and you folks can read it on the monitor right here in front. I want it. This is Conrad Gimp writing. This habit of asking questions appears to have stayed with Jesus after the temple episode in Luke 2 all his life. Moses wanted to tell you the law of God. Prophets were always telling you what the Lord was saying. But apparently, if you met Jesus on the street, he was more likely to ask you something than to tell you something. Whoa. Even when other people asked him a question, he often replied with one of his own. Isn't this true, Rabbi? That is true. Question. Look at the screen. Question. Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Response. Why do you call me good? Question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Response. Whose picture is on the coin? Question. For what grounds should divorce be permitted? Response. What does Moses command you? Question. By what authority do you do these things? Response. Answer me this. By what authority did John the Baptist do what he did? Questions and more questions. The very first words recorded anywhere in sacred literature that come from the lips of the incarnate God, the boy Jesus. Two questions. It's just two questions. Wow. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Jesus asking these questions. What was it he was, what was it he was asking? And guys, ladies, this is not for one day. This is three days. He stays in the temple. You go home. You have a nice night with your wife. You come back. There he is again. He said, oh, Rabbi, can I, can I be in your class one more day? Well, son, sit down right there. And the other students come. You go home at the end of the day. Another night goes by. You come back. The boy is still there three days in a row. What kind of questions did he ask? Listen to this. Desire of Ages, the classic on the life of Jesus. Let me put it up on the screen for you. Jesus presented himself as one thirsting. Look at guys, 12 years old, one thirsting. He's not a superman, he's 12. But he presented himself as one thirsting for a knowledge of God. His questions were suggestive of deep truths which had long been obscured, yet which were vital to the salvation of souls. The rabbis spoke of the wonderful elevation which the Messiah's coming would bring to the Jewish nation. But Jesus, 12 years old, presented the prophecy of Isaiah and asked them the meaning of those scriptures that point to the suffering and death of the Lamb of God. I have to do this. I have to put a pause button right here. Where do you think Jesus learned the scriptures? I want to say to every mother in 
in transit now? Every mother-to-be. Do you understand the power of your life ministry in equipping the young heart to know the things of God? He didn't go to school. He was homeschooled by his mother. Wow. And so he probes. And one more line here. I love this line here. Uh, God, here, here it comes. God was seeking to give light to those leaders. Look at all these. God was seeking to give light to those leaders in Israel, and He used the only means by which they could be reached. There was no other way for Jesus to do it. Twelve-year-old boy, but by asking a question, the Spirit through Him just kept leading the conversation and leading it one question after another. It was the only way. Do you think these professors would have listened if Dan had walked into the classroom and said, Hey, hey, time out. I have a little lecture I want to give today. Everybody be seated, please. Out of here. If one their own age had walked in and said, I don't know where you got your degree, but I got mine here. Let me tell you something. You're out. The only way he could do it was a 12-year-old boy who just asked questions. By the way, students, you can learn from Jesus. Not a bad way to make a point when you don't want to start an argument. Just ask questions. Just ask and ask. And notice what happens. Daniel, would you read verse 47 one more time? Notice what happens now. This is amazing. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Okay. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding. And did you get that? And his answers. You know what's happened, don't you? The questioner has become the question. Hey, boy. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. That's, that's, that's very interesting, that thing on Isaiah. Uh, what, 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 you know, when it says he was wounded for our transgression, what, what, what do you think? Of course, always, when I'm dealing with a child, I always make it look like I'm the one that's kind of putting this into the child. You know, son, don't you think this? But the boy is just there. And the questioned becomes the questioner. The intelligentsia, the brightest of Jerusalem. Professors, we're going to move to the last scene, and I'm going to let you go. Thank you very much for being here. I want to tell you something. We are so lucky at Andrews University to have professors like these who not, they not only ask questions, but in hearing your questions move to the answers that God, through His years of discipline in their lives, has taught them. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. The last scene is here. We need mom and dad. There they are. We need mom and dad for the final scene. Daniel, this time, would you please read verses 46, 47, and 48. Three days later, they finally discovered him. He was in the temple sitting among the religious teachers, discussing questions with them. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Can you hear that mother? Huh, Charles, I'll be, come on, three days and your 12-year-old has been gone. Would there be an edge in the mother's voice? Police. William Hendrickson, the great commentator on, uh, on this particular moment, I'll put his words on the screen. Mary's words, which we just read, Daniel read for us, Mary's words are a medley of surprise, reproach, and anguish. Hey, come on, guys, we all know how she feels, don't we? Have you ever had that time, that, that moment when you're up late at night, you're either waiting for your parents to come back, and they said, listen, honey, we'll be back by 11 o'clock, or you're waiting for your child. 
Either way, you're waiting and you wait and it goes past the hour and then you hear a siren down the road and you are absolutely certain some tragedy has befallen them. It's past midnight now. It's nearly one o'clock and then you hear the slam of a car door. The front door opens and when this is what you've been praying that she'd come back, he'd come back. But when he walks through the door, you are so relieved. You are mad. Right? Just, where were you, boy? Don't you know your father and I have been looking for you? We've been, we've been three days looking for you. What is the matter for you? We would have done the same. But Jesus, 12 years old, see, he hears his mother and he cues off of her very language and he responds. Would you read Jesus' response, please, for us? Daniel, what, what, what is that? Is that uh, verse uh, 49? Would you read verse 49 for us, please? But why did you need to search? He asked. You should have known that I would be in my father's house. But they didn't understand what he meant. How much did they understand, Danny? Did they get it? They did not understand what he meant. Mary comes to him and she said, Your father and I! And Jesus quietly looks up and says, No, my father and I. It's beginning to dawn. Robert Tannehill, describing this moment. Let me put the words on the screen for you. Two loyalties hang in the balance. Already as a child, Jesus indicates which must control his life in spite of his mother's pain. This is the same Jesus, by the way, folks. Twenty years later, 12, 20 plus 12 would put him at 32. The same Jesus who 20 years later said... He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's a, that, that is a heavy, heavy statement to make. And I hope this new school year, students, I hope you never have to choose between your family and God. I hope you never have to choose between your friends and God. But if you ever do have to choose... Every time, follow the boy and always choose the Father. Always choose the Father. Don't you know that I must be about my Father's business? Mama and Papa, thanks for sharing Daniel with us. I'm going to keep him right here for the rest, just a few moments left. But thank you for coming. God bless you. Don't you know, I must be about my father's business. You know what? Danny, you can go to all four of the Gospels. Those are the earliest red letter words you will find anywhere. And for the rest of the Gospel of Luke, Luke will take that question and he will spend his time answering the question. Because you see, the, the, the question, don't you know that I must be about my father's business, is really, i.e., it is the question, do you know what my father's business really is? Hey, wait, you say, hey, wait a minute, Dwight, time out, time out. What, kind of, what, 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 what translation are you reading from? Because my fresh new translation says, don't you know that I'm supposed to be in my father's house? This isn't about business, this is house. I'm going to let you decide right now. Let's have a little bit of teaching time. Take your study guide, it's in your bulletin. Very short study guide today. Ushers, thank you for putting a study guide in the hands of those who raise their hand and say, I would like please to have that study guide. Take your study guide out. Very brief today because we're at the end. 
Those of you, by the way, watching on television right now, you can get our study guide at PM Church, www.pmchurch, Pioneer Memorial Church dot O-R-G. I want you to be the Greek translator today. You be the professor and you tell me how this sentence should really be translated. Take a look at this. The Greek literally reads. You're following that in your study guide. You see that there? The Greek literally reads. Did you not know that I must be in the blank of my father? Guess what, folks? That blank is not a study guide blank. That blank is in the Bible. They left the word out. So you please put a question mark right there because Luke says, I'm not telling you what the word is. Either he assumes we'll figure it out or he just says, you, you know, put a word in. But the Greek literally reads, did you not know that I must be in the blank of my father? Now, you see the 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 article, the before the blank, that the is is in the plural form. It can be either masculine or neuter, but it's plural. And guess what? Plural means you can't put house because house is singular. Plural means you've got to find another word. Our newer translations just say, well, let's put house, it's temple. No. In fact, that's why the New Living Translation, you see that here in your note? The New Living Translation actually footnotes this, and they say, don't you know that I'm supposed to be about my father's affairs? And the New Revised Standard Version says, my father's interests. Why? Because it's plural. That's why you and I, for this series that we begin today, these, these words are our watchwords, so we have to make sure that they're technically correct. They are. The old King James is right, right here. We can indeed translate it. Would you fill it in, please? Don't you know, didn't you know, that I must be about my father's, write the word in, business, his business affairs, his business interests. Didn't you know that? In fact, I like this. The New Century Version, would you fill in this translation, please? You should have known that I must be where my father's work, right in the word work, i got to be where my father's work is. I want to be where he is. Makes you wonder, doesn't it, this new school year? Where is the father's work around here at Andrews University? Where is the father's work here in the Pioneer Memorial Church? What is the father's business? And are we about our father's business, you and I? I've been brooding on those words of the boy Jesus most of this summer, just brooding on it. I've been asking myself the question, God, am I really about your business? Am I concentrating where you're concentrating? Are we in this community of faith, are we truly about your business, as the boy Jesus said? Back in June, while you students were away, Benton Harbor goes up in flame, freed Days of rioting. The CNN satellites beam the fiery pictures. You see them there on the screen to the world. One motorcyclist is dead. Three days of rioting ensue. Twenty-one houses are burned. And get this, overnight, Benton Harbor becomes the business of the press and the politicians. Overnight. Would you fill it in your study guide, please? Is Benton Harbor also, the business of our Father, right in the two words, Benton Harbor, an inner city just up the road, is Benton Harbor our Father's business? Come on, that's a rhetorical question. Then does it not follow that Benton Harbor is also the business of this private, parochial, Christian, Adventist university 12 miles down the road? That's enough to make you want to fall over, isn't it? Wow. 
Benton Harbor. By the way, Jesse Jackson made Benton Harbor his business. The same Jesse Jackson I met in the airport this summer in San Francisco. I spent a week and a half out in California. So I'm going through minding my own business in the airport in San Francisco. I'm on a moving sidewalk when all of a sudden, shh, hey, I know that man. I want to meet him. So I go all the way to the end of the moving sidewalk, turn around. And I come hustling up behind him. Oh, he is with a woman. And they're talking. And I said, well... But just as I get up beside them, she says, well, it's been very nice to visit with you. I have to make my next connection. I said, yes. So I went on San Francisco. They have these little glass artifacts cases. So I went behind a glass case and I just watched him to see when she would finally leave. (laughs) And when she left, I said, that's my moment. I put my hand out. I said, Jesse Jackson, I'm Dwight Nelson. And you know what? I pastor near where you've been already this summer. He said, where's that? I said, I'm near Benton Harbor. Benton Harbor, and boy, he launches into Benton Harbor. And so we visit. We exchange business cards. He said, hey, you know something? I'm going to be there next Monday. Why don't you come and join me there? So it was August, first week of August. I said, hey, I will. And so on Monday, I had the privilege of spending one hour with this man who stood beside Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. One hour of talking. You know, what he want, you know what he talked about? The poor, the disenfranchised, the alienated, the marginalized. One hour. You say, yeah, come on, Dwight. Dwight, psst. I don't agree with his politics. Hey, I didn't ask you to agree with his politics. But you cannot fault his passion. And his passion is for the very theme that we spent all last winter semester in Isaiah 58 trying to get it clear from God that in fact what God is wanting us to do at this time in history is to be about his business for the poor and the needy. You may not like his politics, but you cannot fault his passion because it was Jesus' passion. He said, well, you can't really prove that the Father's business that Jesus is talking about is the poor. Oh, yes, I can. The, get this. The very next words Jesus will speak in the Gospel of St. Luke. The very next red-letter words that He will speak in public. Tell us it's true. Oh, you'll find a little red-letter business at the beginning of Luke 4 where He and Lucifer have a head-on. But once you get past that, the first public words of the grown Christ. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 4. The boy Jesus says in Luke 2, I must be about my father's business. In chapter 4, his next words tell us what that business is. Go to Luke chapter 4, will you? Now, I have a feeling we'll get back to these words because we're spending all the semester in the Gospel of St. Luke. Luke chapter 4, take a look at this. Verse 16 And Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is the NIV. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Here it comes, verse 18. And the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. We're going to talk about being anointed next week. Don't miss next Sabbath right here. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And that's the financially poor. Luke is utterly clear. To go to Benton Harbor, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, and I must go to Benton Harbor. To preach good news to the poor, 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. That's what Jesse Jackson that Monday afternoon together spent a lot of time talking about. Recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Ladies and gentlemen, it is clear the Spirit and Christ are about their Father's business. And what is their Father's business? I put it in the study guide in case you missed it. Put it on the screen to preach good news to the poor. Freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. Release for the oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the year of the Lord's favor, for we are living on the brink of the Lord's return. If ever there were a right time for us to get down to business and be about our Father's business, it'd have to be now. It, it would just have to be now. The whole nation knows about the inner city 12 miles away from us. Wouldn't it be the ultimate, the ultimate, to come to that judgment day and God say, hey, what business were you about at Andrews University? Oh, well, we were about training the mind. Did you spend any time training the heart? Well, we wanted to get these intellects. We want to get these kids bright. Yeah, great, 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 great. Did you know that 12 miles up the road you had one of the most impoverished, per capita impoverished regions in North America? What were you doing in Benton Harbor? Did you kind of miss the fact that when I announced my mission in Luke, it was to go to people like that? What were you doing at that university? Are we about our Father's business? The whole nation has made it its business at least for a few sultry dog days of summer. What about us when the cold winter winds blow? Whose business will Benton Harbor be then? By the way, this isn't about going in, marching into Benton Harbor and say, we have come as your deliverer. Rubbish. We're not the deliverer of Benton Harbor. We're the neighbors. Call us, God I'm sure would like to call us, the good Samaritans. Next Friday evening, Right here at Pioneer, you are going to be given 50, count them, 50 opportunities to be about your Father's business. And at the front of that list, there will be Benton Harbor Street Ministries AU Outreach. In fact, if you don't want to wait till next Friday, Friday evening, students, you can go this afternoon at 3 o'clock, be at Lampson Hall. Buses are going to Benton Harbor. Why are we having this ministry fair? The first annual, first in history, ministry fair 2000 at Pioneer. You know why we're having this? 50 booths. You know why this place will be filled with 50 booths and tables? All clamoring for your attention, all eager for your enlistment. I'll tell you why. Because education is not just about training the mind, it's about equipping the heart. When you go from this place, ladies and gentlemen, students of Andrews University, you can go so that from here you can lead anywhere on earth you can lead God's people. We will equip you. We will enable you. We will empower you. We will mobilize you. We will motivate you. We, one size does not fit all. You can't just get into one little cookie cutter ministry and say, well, that's for all of us. Wrong. Fifty different choices. Fifty choices so you can walk up to that booth and boy, they'll be calling for you. They'll say, hey, sign up on the dotted line. Why not? Because it is Christ who calls us to follow His mission, His Father's business. 
Oh, we need people to help us with PowerPoint here in the church. We need some of you whiz computer hacks to help us with PowerPoint. We need people to sign up. We're going to have a Sabbath Expressions booth. Sign up to be a part. Enlist. There will be 50 different opportunities on campus, in this congregation, and around the community next Friday evening for the students. Next Sabbath, you come to church between 9.30 and 1.30. Those booths will be open next Sabbath as well. Because you see, it's not just about students being about their father's business. Administrators need to be about their father's business. And so do teachers, and so do pastors, and so do community members, and housewives as well. We must all be about our father's business. In closing, I want to tell you, in candor, that I am under deepening conviction that God's strategic plan for this hour, before the stars fall one last time, oh Lord, what a morning, before that morning that God's strategic plan is to mobilize a generation of the young. And by the young, I mean the teens. Daniel, you're almost there. The teens, the 20s, and the 30s. God needs everybody. But the mobilization is for that span. This ministry fair concept designed by our chaplain, Lawrence Byrne, is specifically in response to that conviction. I want to end with words that I used to just shrug off and say, I don't want those words. But I want to say to the young adults who are here today, please ponder these words. In fact, they're so important, they're understudy God. I want to end with these words. They're from a little book that has a lot to do with Andrews University. It's called Education, page 271. I've been brooding and ruminating over these words as well. With such an army of workers as our young, rightly trained. It's the whole point of it. Pioneer's mission is not to teach in the classroom on this campus. We're here to partner with the professors in training, in equipping spiritually. With such an army of workers. I know I used to read this. Ah, come on, that's about somebody else. No, no, it's you. It's this generation. With such an army of workers as our young, rightly trained, might furnish. How soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. How soon might the end come, the end of suffering and sorrow and sin. It's time to mobilize an army that God has raised up. And guess what, students? You are God's Plan A. You are His plan A. On this first Sabbath of the new year, I need to appeal to you, please, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, make your life available. I know you've got a GPA to worry about. I know you've got to work to get yourself through school. But make your life available to be about the Father's business this year. And I'm promising you, you will never have had a life, life or a year as you will have this year. I want to give you, you are God's plan A, I want to give you an opportunity as a student to join me in saying, God, I don't care what it takes. Whatever you need, move me into my Father's business this year. If that is your desire as a young adult, I wish you would stand to your feet right now. If that is your desire as a young adult, God bless you. God bless you. You are God's plan A. He can go to B. And He can go to C. But you're A. With such an army, rightly trained. How soon, how soon the message of Jesus can go to all the earth 
And the end will come. My Lord, what a morning! That morning can come sooner with an army like this. Praise God. How about it, faculty? How about it, adults? Want to stand with Daniel and these young adults? Want to say, hey, Jesus, anything you need in my life, I want to be about the Father's business too. I want to be about my Father's business in the classroom, in the community, wherever you move me, Jesus. Make me about your business.